Okay. <clears throat> well, welcome back. As the children now settle into their activities, or they might indeed still be with us, um, I know that mine sometimes just, just like to sit and listen. So you are very, very welcome. Let's just pray together now before we look at God's word. Yeah, Jesus, in all the difficulties of life, in all the struggles, um, in all the temptations, we thank you that you are constant. You're the one thing that remains. Your love never gives up. Your love never abandons us. You've said in your word, nothing will separate us from your love when we're in you, Jesus. And Jesus, we look at Hebrews over the coming weeks. Father, speak to us. We don't want head knowledge. We want heart knowledge. We don't want changed intellect. We want changed lives to be our priority. And so please help us today to hear what you are saying, to be listening and leaning into your spirit, to hear you speaking to us personally. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Hebrews. And as we said already, um, this is um, a book that is inviting us not to give up. Do not give up is our title for this whole series. Do not give up on Jesus. And here at the beginning, uh, we've got a few verses we're going to just walk through today. Um, and we're going to see the author of Hebrews giving us um, reasons right at the beginning. It's like a summary why we should keep going with Jesus. Why is it so important to cling on to Jesus, to not let him slip through our fingers, to not just uh, walk away or just forget or just let other things crowd in? We want to be clinging on to Jesus. And we're going to come back to that again and again over the next few weeks. So the first reason that the author gives is God speaks to you through him. That is Jesus. God speaks to us through Jesus. We've read it already. Verse one. But you might want to have your Bible open. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days. He has spoken to us by his son. You know, there's loads of ways that we could catch glimpses of God. Um, you know, uh, we were in the garden the other night. It was dark and there was just a beautiful um, sky of stars. And when you see the magnitude of God's creation, you can't help but worship. You can't help but say, wow, this is shouting about God. As the author in the Psalms wrote, um, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And you can't help but that. I know for me, when I held my first baby daughter in my arms with tears rolling down my cheeks, I wept at the generosity and goodness of God. And I can see him. And I know that's parents' Uh, responses again and again it's just the awe and wonder as you hold a newborn baby in your uh, in your arms and you wonder you know how did this happen this is amazing here as we said already 
the writer speaks to Jewish a Jewish community. Um, remember, Jesus was a Jew. The, the early Christians were Jews. They became followers of Jesus, the Messiah. And over time, Gentiles came in um, and the church became about all people and all tribes and all tongues, just as Jesus wanted it to be and was God's intentional and heart from the very beginning. But here he writing to a Jewish community of believers, um, some Messianic Jews, as we might call them. And he says, you know, in the past, God spoke in lots of different ways. Um, and if you read uh, in the Hebrew Bible, you'll see, you know, burning bushes, writing on walls, dreams, visions, angels, lots and lots, prophets, obviously, as we've mentioned already. But in these days, he has spoken through his son. And he's, of course, referring to Jesus. Um, and at this point, it's really important. I just want to draw out that the way we see the importance of Jesus here, um, his life, his death, his resurrection speaks most fullest to us about God. Um, often we can think, oh, the New Testament is like a tack on to the Bible. It's like the end bit. It's like the last, oh, I don't know what would we say, the last 30%. And we can see Jesus like the last, I don't know, 10%. We can say, well, we've got 90% of God. Surely that is enough. Or we can see Jesus like a test. When you get 90%, you've passed, haven't you? That's a great mark. Or a vaccine, you've got this much percentage and the second vaccine, maybe that's like Jesus and you'll, you'll get the full measure of it all. <clears throat> but it's not like that. Jesus is not like that. I'm, it's important to understand that Jesus is much more like... Um, something that's an like a filter, an overlay that we put over everything we know about God in his word, in creation. Jesus is like the lens that we see God through. It's the way we see him most clearly. It's like, it's like being uh, virtually blind. And just in previously, you've seen fuzz, you know, you've been able to get around. Yeah, I can see something of what I've got here. But when we get those glasses, it's like, whoa, I never knew that that was the case. And that's what we experience when we see Jesus. We see who God is, his character, his behavior most clearly and above all, his heart for us. And in these opening verses, he does say God spoke. So it's not that we can just get rid of the Old Testament either. It's not like, oh, well, they got it wrong in some way. No, that's still really important. God spoke. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't untrue. It's just that we simply didn't have the whole picture. Jesus is the whole picture. Why would we let Jesus go when he is the full picture? And as I was thinking about this, I thought about all well, the films that follow this model, aren't there? Like the last few bits of the film I want you to just think of a film now that you've watched where in the last few moments there's a revelation that not only is like a twist in the plot for that character but puts the whole film in context the whole film and um, I I'm not brilliant at films and I'm sure those of you are going to like put on the chat films, examples I could have used that would work much better. Um, but I was thinking, you know, what about um, Sixth Sense, which is about a psychiatrist who meets a young boy who claims he can see dead people. And he goes through the whole film trying to help this boy with his maybe psychosis. And then at the end, the plot reveal, isn't it, that the psychiatrist is dead oh if you haven't seen it that's a massive spoiler but still 
And the whole film is then put into perspective, isn't it? The whole film, you look back at every scene and think, oh, my life, that's what was going on. And that's what we see when we view the Old Testament through Jesus. So that's our first point. Secondly, we see in this opening chapter, why grip onto Jesus? Because God himself trusts Jesus with us, with you. He says, whom he, he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. That's the continuous bit of chapter two. I don't know if you've made a will in your life. <clears throat> When you get a mortgage, you don't really have to do one. But even then, you're a bit slack. But then you get kids, and it's different, isn't it? It's very different. When we're making wills, we know that um, the preciousness of our... We, I'll, I'll grab something for you. Um, here we have here my horse. Here he is. And he has so much sentimental value for me. A friend gave me him. He's from India. It speaks of her love for me. When I die, my children are not going to keep this horse. I'm going to assure you, he's going in the bin. (laughs) And many of our things that we leave will end up in the bin. They're just not that important. But we don't want our very important things to go there. Our children, our pets that we love, we agonize over who we would trust with our most precious of possessions, who will love them with a heart that we have for them, this most, and God thinks that too, the only person that he can entrust his creation to is the son. The son is the only one that shares the heart of the father. He loves us as the father loves us. The gospel tells us in John chapter three, verse 35, the father loves the son and has placed everything everything in his hands including you you know we read in genesis that jesus made the universe and that god made the universe but then in the new testament we see that revelation that it was through jesus that he was made jesus the agent of the creation who formed us loves us with so intently because he he has created this beauty around us he's fully invested in it his heart is for us And we read in the New Testament, don't we? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And the Father confidently entrusts us to him. So don't give up on Jesus. Entrust yourself to him. Thirdly, He shows us what God is like. We read on verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The sun is the radiance, the radiant. The word radiance means a light flashing forth. Jesus is the light flashing forth. And the kids were maybe making, maybe you're making suns today. Jesus is like the ray of the sun. The rays of the sun are no less than the sun itself. Jesus isn't a reflection of God. He's not like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. He is the source of light himself. John 1 14 tells us the word that's speaking of Jesus 
became flesh and dwelt amongst us, lived amongst us. We have seen his glory. What glory? The glory of the one and only God himself. Jesus shares the glory, displays the glory. He is the glory. The glory of God is more bright. It's um, it's so bright, but it's more than brightness and shininess. You know, it's more than, oh, I can't see. It is God's character, his essence, his being. Exodus 33, verse 18, and it's going to come up on the screens for you. Moses says to God, God, show me, let me see your glory, who you are. And Moses isn't met with a blinding flash of light that blows him to the ground, but rather God allows his goodness to pass before him. He speaks his name. The name is uh, symbolic of everything of who God is. He declares before Moses, I am merciful, compassionate. I'm slow to anger, overflowing with love. This is my glory, the glory of who I am, the compassionate, the overflowing with love. The characteristics of this is God. And that's what we see most fully in Jesus. We see the mercy. We see the goodness. We see the grace. We see the care that he has. We see the sacrifice of ultimately of love for all creation. Jesus says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. He couldn't be more clear. The, to emphasize the point, the writer here says he's the exact representation of his being, of God's being. And that word, um, he's using lots of metaphors here. None, none of them are perfect, obviously. But it's, he's using a word that meant to stamp, to make money. It was an exact copy of the stamp every time. But it's more than that. It's Jesus is the same. He is. I mean, it's so hard to get our hands heads around, isn't it? Everything God is, Jesus is. And yet they are distinct. Everything God is, Jesus is. And yet they are distinct. And if we want to know what God is like, who he is, what he thinks about us, our purpose, his purpose for this creation, why he did it where we're heading, the answers can be found in Jesus. So number four, I must speed up. I've got four minutes left, I'd say. He has a plan for your life. So we've seen, so we know God speaks through Jesus. We know God's entrusted us to him and him alone. We know that Jesus shows us fully who God is because he's one with God. So what is he doing? What is he going to do with us? What is this all about? What does it say in verse three? Second half, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is sustaining the universe. And sometimes we can think of this in terms of imagine like God is like, and, and the psalmist do say this, he's holding it in his hand, he's holding it. But it's, it's not like it's just spinning there on its own and he's just like watching. Ooh, that's interesting. The, the Greek word here is like he's it has the the understanding of leading. There's like movement in it. It's intended to give the idea of movement and change that this creation is being led towards an ultimate goal. The universe is not free falling but exists with purpose. You exist with purpose. Um, I remember as a teen being asked to choose what uh, what I would study at university, and I just I didn't have a clue. 
I just went on what my parents said, and rightly or wrongly, I had no idea because I was being asked to choose purpose. Like, why do I exist? Just not the whole thing, but a part of that. And even that can be so overwhelming. So good to know that Jesus has us and he has purpose. He knows what he is doing. His purpose for his creation to he wants to share life with his creation to enjoy him. He wants to see a fuller outpouring of his glory of who he is within creation, that we would be like him, that we would display his glory, that we would be merciful and compassionate and tender and slow to anger and abounding in love, that we would be that reflection of him. And sadly, we don't see that. We don't see that at the moment. We don't see it at present. We see a broken world, like a virus in a computer. There's something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. But like the program app, the only person that can fix it is Jesus. And so the fifth point, why should we not give up on Jesus? He has the authority to forgive sin. It says, um, goes on, doesn't it? In the end of verse three, after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And here the writer finishes his opening statement of Jesus's credentials, as it were. Why should we stick with Jesus? Why should we grip on with every part of our being? Well, he's the voice, he's the air, he's the power, he's the glory, he's the exact representation, but he's also the authority. He's the only one, the final thing only God can do, and that is to remove and heal the brokenness of his creation permanently. Jesus has made this possible through the purification of sins. And this is another great example of where we see the Hebrew Bible through a lens. That in the past they sacrificed, they knew the weight of not of turning away from God. They knew the weight of not being compassionate, of being ugly, of being mean, of being unkind. They knew that the 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 weight of not loving, the everything, the opposite of love, and they call that sin. And it's infested our world. They understood the seriousness of it and God introduced sacrifices where an animal would die. This is the weight of sinfulness, that someone has to die, that blood has to be shed. And in there we see, and we'll look back over the next few weeks, I don't want to get into it now because there's just so much for us to do. But they would lay their hands on an animal and confess all their sins. And all their sins would be upon that animal. And then the animal will be sent away. And then they would be gone. But as we'll find out in Hebrews, of course, that couldn't really work. An animal cannot take our place. Only Jesus can take our place. And we see that he purifies us. Jesus sheds light on this for the whole world. The writer is going to go in his message again and again, reminding us Jesus is superior to any other voice we can hear. You know, we get lost in so much. 
but he's worth listening. He's the one to listen to. His wisdom is greater than any other human we can listen to. And for these Jews, greater than any of their ancestors, greater than any of their prophets, greater than any of their priests, greater than even angelic beings. And he says, finally, in verse four, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. We'll do more about angels next week. So hold your thoughts on that. But he goes on just to say, and we don't have time for it, obviously. Angels carried the message. Jesus is the message. Angels worship God. Jesus is worshipped. Angels are the servants. He is the king. Angels are created. He is the creator. Angels are before God. He is at the right hand side. Total authority over his creation. There is no one more worthy or in need of our attention than Jesus. Why would we let go of him? That is the question for the next few weeks. Why would we ever consider letting go of him? You know, just to finish, my girls play a game on computer. Some of you may know it, where they swap things online. And sometimes they make good deals and sometimes they make bad deals because they've been scammed and scamming is part of our household language like no, they're never going to scammed in the future I tell you they are trained they know a scam when they spot one and if we're tempted to let go of Jesus to settle for that 30 40 50 even 90 percent of who God is we need Jesus he is not 10 percent he is a hundred percent if we let go of him we have been scammed by the devil so watch out So we're just going to finish today. I just want you to, um, if you're in your room and if you're able to, perhaps you want to close your eyes. I just want you to ask for a moment, Jesus, what are you saying to me today? In what way have I been letting you slip through my fingers? In what way have I been letting go of you? In what way have I let voices crowd in? In what way have I forgotten who you are?